The following is a conversation with Yaakov. We talk about the divorce process, the uncertainty of its early days, the role of spouses involved in a divorce as former spouses and as parents, and how for many people the divorce doesn't just end when the papers are signed. Yaakov talks about what it's like to be on the other side of a case handled by Shalom Task Force, an organization that provides high-conflict divorce lawyers to Jewish women free of charge. We also discuss how doing routine things like taking his child to visit family in a nearby state cost him thousands of dollars in litigation and required appearances and motions in court. One important lesson that I want people to take away from this interview is that even though Yaakov won many of his motions for custody modification, it still cost him thousands of dollars and a huge emotional toll. That is, even though some people like to brush off these problems by saying, well, we have a justice system, that will deal with it. Well, yeah, there is a justice system, but it's not exactly accessible or practical for most people. The system doesn't just crank out justice. If you can't afford the justice, you just don't get the justice. Uh, luckily, Yaakov has had some important wins, but he still has a monumental challenge ahead. He's definitely done a lot of homework on the organization that is assisting his former wife, and he shares some pretty concerning details, as well as some of the details about navigating the court system. All in all, it's a really interesting interview, and without further ado, let's get started with the episode. You're listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast, the relationship podcast for from men, single, married, separated, divorced. There's something here for the whole Hevra. Here's your host, Nathan Gettysburg. Hello there. Um... Today on the Let's Get Serious podcast with me, Natan Gettysburg, uh, I'm joined by Yaakov. Uh, Yaakov is a single father in a large Jewish community. Um, he's been in this uh, divorce process or divorce aftermath uh, in family court for a bunch of years, and he's accumulated a lot of knowledge. He's been in the system. He's researched. He's been around, and he's dealt with organizations that often make things more contentious and difficult than they have to be. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing his perspective. Um, Yaakov, it's really nice to have you on. Natan, thank you so much for having me here. And it, it, it's a true pleasure. I, I, I understand these are some like the, of, of the formative episodes that you're having. And I, 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 even before we begin, I really want to thank you for going in, in t- territory that few have gone. And I think it's Amir Tashem will be a tremendous benefit for, for the listeners and people that are going through it. So I'm, I'm actually very excited. And thank you for having me ah, on. Thanks so much. Um, so, you know, you, you got divorced a few years ago. Um, if I understand correctly, you had an uncontested divorce. Can you tell us about how that worked and, uh, you know, what you thought at the time, <laughs> how it would turn out and, you know, what, what you're currently going through? Um, so we, we were married, um, Mike and I were married for uh, a number of years. And I'm not going to say we were living in paradise, to say the least, you know, or, or we would not have been here where we are today. But my understanding and my expectation was that there's kind of rules of engagement. And even when something's not right, there's a way to play even in that situation. And I woke up to a reality. You know, I had a serious reality check that um, I think many people do in the situation and men that I've seen and spoken to, perhaps some women too. Um, where like all law and order or decency is kind of thrown aside in, in you know when things are not working out. So starting you know from the beginning of when that, that whole situation started with me, basically what happened was 
I woke up one morning to an empty house. The family was gone. And there was just like a note on the table saying, we left and don't contact us because we're gone. Wow. You know, very shocking. Very, very shocking. Very traumatized. Like That's I said, hard. it's not like, it's not like, you know, there was things were awesome, but you know, there's a certain situation where when things aren't going right, how do we deal with that? And we had actually just recently started with a marriage counselor who was actually qualified. It took a while to find this person. Some of the predecessors that were there were unqualified, were nasty, were difficult, were not understanding. So it was kind of from a timely perspective, it was, it was very untimely and, and, and unexpected in that regard. Um, the manner in which it was done, also shady. It was, it was discerning. It was, it was concerning. It was overwhelming. It was like, this is uh, like, why? It was a total shock to you? Was it threatened? It, it, it was a shock because I think, I think the manner was a shock. You know, if she would have said, like, you know, look, we tried it for several years. I don't think you're happy with me either. I'm not happy with you in this situation. We tried different things. I don't think there are any more options that we can use to actually solve the underlying causes here. Um, I think we should be breaking up or something like that and have that conversation. I think that's the normal way to go about it. You know, people complain when they're dating, when uh, a boy and girl will go at five or six or seven times, and then one party is not interested in continuing for whatever reason. And they'll just they'll just um, detach. They'll then they'll they'll stonewall. They'll or maybe Ghost. send like a two word two word text saying, um, "Okay, yeah, I'm not interested anymore." Oftentimes, the other party will be like, "What? I spend time, I spend energy. Like, don't I at least get a phone call? Don't I at least get a conversation about it?" So all the more so when when it's someone that you you've actually married, <laughs> you've actually right. married, you're in a marital relationship. That's kind of not really the way things would where to go. And if there were some other community people who were, were involved, whether it be a therapist or, you know, a Rav or some other person who helped forge that decision, which is often the case, oftentimes there are third parties that get involved in an effort to do what they think is best to help out, quote unquote, or one party or another, you know, and perhaps may be sincere, but may not always have the whole story. They may often sometimes, you know, give advice to someone to do something which can actually hurt the other party but without even hearing. So in terms, of, in terms of what happened at that time, it was, um, like I said, it, it, was, it, was, it was very daunting. And I think that um, the reason why I talk about that is because that kind of really was the segue. It, it, it kind of set up the equation for um, the events that were going to unfold over the next number of years. Mm-hmm. So the narrative that happened in my particular situation probably happened to some other people, just to a greater or lesser degree. Although I think that for the average, it might be a little bit more extreme to the extent that it happened with me. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that with any degree of certainty, but, but basically the notion was that she decided that she wanted out of the marriage, which is not unreasonable per se. Mm-hmm. And, then, and But because of that, therefore that, that translated into a sense of entitlement that kids are mine and mm-hmm. um, they're going to be living with me and I'm going to be raising them. And you're uh, just, you know, a visitor. And I will let you have involvement in their lives to the extent that I want, when I want it, how I want it, not more and not less, because I'm the sole parent. That sounds more like she didn't want out, but she wanted you out. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it, it's very interesting. It's very interesting that you, you know, that you say it like that, because cause you're right. Because <laughs> that's really, in other words, it, it wasn't about her being out of the marriage, but about me being out of her life, right? Um, the kid's life. Right. Here's, here's the story, okay? Because I, I, I want to be very careful and accurate about what I say here. It's not that she didn't want me to have a connection with, with, you know, with the kids and that sort of thing. It's that she wanted to be on her, the one to control that. 
And mm-hmm. so, like I said, she never said in so many words, like I'm the sole parent or something like that. But the actions really speak louder than words. And anytime we kind of had some type of interaction, and we've been separated for quite a number of years, it was always with a very thinly shielded, you know, ideology that, that she's the one in charge. It's always like, what do you mean? But I let you do this. I let you speak with him over Skype. I let you see him. And I'm like, and I kept, I keep on saying like, why are you letting me? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't let you drive your own car, right? I don't let you mm-hmm. go to your own bank account and take out money from your account. This is not yours. It's our child, you know, and, and we have to work together on that. And I mm-hmm. think that th- this was a really foundational lack of understanding. I want, I want to, I'm going to say it's a disagreement, but it's not just, a, it's more than a disagreement. It's a foundational lack of understanding that there are two parents. There still are two parents. Even if there's a divorce, there's still two parents and we have to find ways to work together whether the two parents are going to be together or not. That's, I think, a huge part of the, on a societal level, you know, which we can, you know, get into. But starting from the vantage point of my specific situation, what ended up happening was we, we were separated for quite a few years because he didn't want to come to terms with any type of arrangement of joint custody and, and um, a number of other things, you know, related to that and really just sign on the dotted line. Or something if, wait um, before, just just can i interrupt before we go uh, into yeah, like what sure. eventually happened i want to just understand like what you were going through those first that first day where you had no idea where your kids were and what your emotional state was like were you working at the time did you go to work the next day what what was going on in your life how did you deal with were, were you were you anxious were you panicked were you depressed like what was going on that's such a, yeah that's such an important question thank you um the, the, obviously, it was, it was a very big challenge. It was it was very daunting. Like I said, you know, psychologically, it's it's there's shock, there's there's um, betrayal, there's you know resentment, there's you know like how 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 does this happen? How do you do this and, and that sort of thing? And there was really a lack of support in terms of people in the community who were able to help. Not that there weren't people who cared or felt bad, who tried different things, and there were people who selflessly spent lots of time, but. There was very little, like, you know, orchestrated effort. Like, I know you have when, when, when there's a woman who's not receiving a get, um, for whatever reason, there, there are groups such as Aura that will come in and they will help her get together. They will make rallies. They'll, they'll burn the world down to make, to right a perceived injustice. And in a situation like this, it was like either, either there weren't enough people who cared or not enough people who cared enough to, you know, scream from the rooftops and, like, turn over the world to make it. There was, a, uh, there was a period of time when I was not able to see uh, my kid. At that time, in the beginning, it, was, it went on for a number of months. And Baruch Hashem, wow. it, was, it was able to be resolved. But at the time, you know, when you're in it, you don't know that. You don't know that, oh, this is just going to be for two months or three months or something like that. When you can't see a young child or, or you know, whatever, you have no idea if it's going to last two months or two years or two decades or, or what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and there's this huge amount of indifference in the world at, you know, when things like that happen. But, but to get back to your question, so I was, I was actually in Yeshiva at the time. I was learning in Kailo. So I was being thrust out of Yeshiva to go out and get a job right away because I, I didn't have any support. She had been working and, and supporting me. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not, that's not a bad thing per se. Most people I know at some point in life, um, either they, they're working out, they're working from day one, working at a job, or if they're learning in Yeshiva, and at some point they go out and support the family. Um, most people. So the fact that there was that transition is, is maybe a healthy thing, you know, the right time or whatever. But the fact that that was kind of thrust upon you overnight 
Um, I didn't have a background. I didn't have I didn't have a college degree or anything like that. And there was nothing in the bank because I was just, you know, pretty much I was just left, you know, financially stranded. You know, I don't come from a, a wealthy family that says, you know, OK, here's, you know, $100,000 to get you through this or something like that. So it, it was really uh, I had to move to, an, to another place you know, all, all at once. It was, it was very daunting. It was really very daunting. Wow. What was your family supportive? Do you have family, parents, siblings? Hashem, yeah, they were, they were very understanding. I think that, and to this day, they, they will cry for me. They will, they will scare for me and, and, and hear me out and, and uh, you know, be supportive. I think that oftentimes, which, which, which is a blessing, because I, I know that others who have gone mm-hmm. through similar things don't necessarily have family. I know right. it's, someone it's I know critical. who went and he's, maybe he's, he was uh, about Tuva and his parents are not from and they're not on that relationship or not even just religious differences, but just whatever the family dynamic is, they don't necessarily have that, that relationship with siblings or parents or whatever. And even with a supportive family, I would say that, that um, there's also a lack of education out there about how family can help. That's something that is, is so important. Someone needs to you know, address that at some point. It, as much as it's shocking for me, it's also shocking for family members who thought you were just happily married and all of a sudden, boom, you're back in the house or, or, or in a different place and the, cham- the family dynamic had changed. It's a huge shocker for them, and they may not know how to deal with it. They may be dealing with their own pain or uh, discomfort or embarrassment or whatever it is. And sometimes, you know, you can go to someone for support, and they themselves need that support. And they need to, you know, have, have the, the backbone to be able to, to deal with cope with the problem before they can help you. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, it can be challenging on so many levels. But overall, yeah, they were, they were you know, thank God, very supportive for Hashem. That's that's so critical. I mean, it, it really it really could make the difference of getting through it or or not. Some people really just don't get through it. They just don't have the support, and nobody, and they don't talk about it, and people don't necessarily know. Were there any rabbanim in, involved? Did you did you call any rabbanim any any rav right away and 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 get advice? And did it help? Did it not help? But what, what was the role of the of of rabbanim in your situation? So, at the time. The more challenging things that actually occurred later down the road, but just you know, just to answer um, briefly, at the time there, there were rabbanim involved. Some of them were helpful, some of them were kind of productive, and unfortunately, a number of them were really clueless as far as, mm-hmm. as far as that. And it's unfortunately not a not an uncommon pattern. Um, I, I think that we need to really start from the bottom up and you know educate people about what's normal. What, what's an appropriate situation when there's a divorce? What are the things that are to be expected? I don't mean expected. I mean things that, that should happen, should be in place, should not be in place. And society as a whole has to understand that before we can expect our abundance to understand that. And, you know, just because someone uh, sits and learns in the Tamakacham and Gishiram doesn't mean that he has that skill. It's not a skill that, that people have naturally, some, some more, some less. And, you know, we have to be able to, to give that to people in the abundance so they can have that. And give that, you know, give that just over. to clarify, what, 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 what skill are you talking about? Are you talking about skills related to marriage counseling or skills related to mediating a peaceful divorce? Well, what I was of... talking about the latter. I was talking about the latter. You know, we can talk about marriage too. But, but so, you know, if you have a situation and a mother is not letting a father see a child, what do you do? But what do you do about that? Did mm-hmm. you say, oh, well, must be then because there was something bad about the father or and then just right. walk away? Or do you say, well, hold on. Is there any claim of abuse? No, there was no claim of abuse. There was no even, there wasn't even any allegation of that. There was no children protection services. There was no, uh, he did this, he did that. He, there wasn't even, that's not even what was going on. It was more just like, well, he owes me money. I think he owes me money. 
I think he did this, he did that. I'm like, okay, so what? What does that have to do with anything? So, mm-hmm. so people can really get excited and um, kick and scream and get emotional and, and dramatize the situation. And the human psychology, the nature, is that people can get overwhelmed or confused. So if you don't have someone that's, that's really properly trained in not getting confused by the, you know, you know, the extraneous facts around the case and really just be laser focused, uh, it's not that hard for a someone with a mental illness or who's just not someone who's just dysfunctional to to get a rav or a lawyer or a tie-in or a judge or someone from CPS, anyone to believe that they're they have legitimacy legitimacy to their thing. Right, right, and uh, yeah, and my experience, I think a lot of rabbanim just you know once it's in court or it's going to be in court, they they kind of just shy away from. They don't really want to be involved. It's sort of it's unpleasant. It's controversial. They don't know who to believe. Um, right. I, I, that, that's and, and they're not trained. They, you, as you say, like they, they don't know how to spot the signs of dramatization of false accusations, yeah. and it's it's so easy to pull their strings. In um, my in my situation, there were there was there were no false accusations. There weren't any accusations. Period. It was just more like I don't have to deal with this guy. So, too bad. And mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, what what kind of what kind of response to that? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of a lot of just just distracting arguments which had nothing to do with the substance. So you know, but when someone gets emotionally involved, so then they what, the problem is that. Sometimes when you'll have a neutral party um, lose their neutrality and they at some point often will get emotionally involved. Right, right, right. Sure. After this whole amount of time, you know, from starting from that day that you woke up and she, she had disappeared with, with your children. So some months go by, you, you finalize, you, you settle on a divorce agreement. Is it mediated? Like, just, just walk us through that process about what, yeah, what happened. Right. There. So, so the interesting thing is because they talk about people that, you know, are, you know, they're refusing to go to a bedroom, they're not giving a get. You know, you hear those kinds of stories. It was really weird because in my situation, I almost felt like it was a role reversal. I had spoken with one of the rabbinim at, you know, the earlier formative stages, and he was trying to tell her to, to just be normal, be normal about her situation. And he said, like, I'm not telling him, I'm not suggesting this, but like, you know, w- w- what if he doesn't want to give a get? You know, if, you do, if you're asking, you know, ridiculous. And she said, I don't need a get, I don't want to get, I don't have anything to do with it, you know. And he was very shocked. Like he never heard something like that before. And he told me that in this, this rub had been involved in Gitan for many, many, many years, decades. And he said in, in, in over 30 years, I never heard a woman talk like that. In other words, he was trying to say that the level of how irrational she was, which, how, which I later discovered that. No, I mean, why would she not want to get? I mean, that doesn't, that just limits her halachic options. I, I think I that this is saying... one of the, and this is where it gets a little hairy. And I think that this is one of the things that people need to keep in mind is that there, there was dysfunction there mm-hmm. and things weren't adding up in ways that would make sense even for her and I'm here to put her down but but when you understand the full equation kind of in hindsight looking back certain things even though maybe they may be counterintuitive at least they it made sense in, in a proper context so getting back to what I was saying a minute ago I didn't have it wasn't one of the situations where like he was trying, begging me to come to bed then and get this settled and I was holding back she never she never sent me as an investment ever mm-hmm. She never sent me to bed and she never took me to court. It just sat, the situation just sat and we just sat and waited. And I didn't have the funds to initiate a case against her. I didn't have the funds to go to bed. I didn't have the, I had just, because I, I explained, I did not have a career. It took me, it was difficult to, you know, to set something up. And so I didn't have the capacity to initiate either, either in secular or in, or in bed. And she had no qualms waiting. She would have been perfectly content to wait, you know, for eternity. She truly was. I wasn't wow. asking for much. I wasn't. It was really wild. Was really, that must have really been. Tor- that must have been torturous. For, and, and were you seeing your kid at all? Was there any kind of informal arrangement? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me answer answer one at a time. So 
as far as waiting, I wasn't, I wasn't asking for money. I wasn't asking for any type of punitive or, you know, nothing. I just, I just wanted a reasonable arrangement with stand, the standard time, standard care, standard split arrangement of, you know, co-parenting, the, the, you know, the joint custody situation and splitting whatever the, the normal things that couples in that situation were to do. Mm-hmm. And she just didn't want that. And she had no problem waiting for that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of just trying to get in her mind and see what her perspective was, it's really a bit about, you know, a bit beyond me. Because it's really, it's really not logical that someone wouldn't want, you know, to be able to right. find something and run. As far as my child, so thank God I, I did have the opportunity to see him and connect with him. The, the decision-making process in the joint decision-making process was um, virtually non-existent. It was pretty much unilateral. And everything was at, you know, at her beck and pull. So like if I want to take him to for an overnight to my nephew's bar mitzvah out of town. Nope, no overnights. No overnights until, until, uh, until, until this is over with. You know, until I have a guest. Wow. And I'm like, what? Yeah, what are you talking about? We're negotiating an agreement here. We're negotiating this in good faith. You know, and she was sending me emails saying, let's try to do this. And let's try to, um, there, there, over, there were many different queries, but back and forth trying to um, um, negotiate an agreement. And there were different, yeah, and involved, you, you, different you, mediators uh, that were involved. Like, okay, so there were yeah. mediators. Okay, yeah, that, at, that's at what I was various saying. at various stages, and some of them were you know licensed trained, and some of them were just more um, people in the community that felt bad that wanted to try to you know get this all over with for everyone. But like, if you're in the middle of negotiating an agreement with someone, and they're blaming you for not having the final, why we don't have a signed agreement, as we're in the process of negotiating it in good faith, and they're blaming you and saying therefore you can't have your child for a simch on your family. Again, it wasn't right. it wasn't like um. It's, it's no a hostage situation. It was a hostage situation because, like I said, when someone's claiming that this child is, is in a state of danger by being the other party, you know what I'm saying, then you know, that's a whole different story. But that wasn't even what was being alleged. Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about you know, going back to the initial formative stages where, when you know, they, they just ran away. The child was enrolled in preschool, and I had no idea where the child went. For um mm-hmm. for preschool, I have no until this day. I have no idea. Wow. Which which school they went to? Not that it matters today, you know. But like <laughs> right. I didn't know about that. Then the next year they were enrolled in kindergarten, and again I had no idea. This was all done behind my back. It turns out that I found out through the grapevine that she had enrolled. She uh, had applied to one particular yeshiva, and they they turned her down. I, I think part of what happened was that she they said, "Well, where's the father? Are you married? Are you divorced? Are you a widow?" Are you a prostitute? Like, what's going on here? And she was just very dismissive of like, no, 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 there's no father, there's no father. And he's like, what the heck? What kind of, mm-hmm. what kind of situation? I'm not, I'm not bringing kind of crazy situations to my school. Yeah, sure. And then sure. she went to, you know, another school. Uh, I think there were several. Okay. But ultimately to a place which was moderately interested in taking, but the principal and his credit to this day, said, listen, I don't know what the situation, the legal situation is. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. But what I am saying is that I'm not going to have a child go to the, to the yeshiva without hearing from the father. I have to meet the father. And that's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing. Because sometimes schools can get mixed in in a really obnoxious way, which is right, unbecoming. Right. So I have gratitude to this manal to this day. Anyway, so then I get an email from my estranged wife saying, oh, Rabbi so-and-so wants to meet you. Like, you know, the, the, the principal of the school. I'm like, Who's that? what are you talking about? <laughs> Who is that? What are you talking about? Yeah, will we apply to the school? I'm like, hello, I'm the mm-hmm. father. Why wasn't have, why why am I not being involved? 
So then she said, mm-hmm. what do you mean? I am getting involved. I'm telling you that if you have any concerns with the yeshiva, whatever, you can speak to the principal. This is definitely to be involved. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not what happened here. You tried to enroll him into the yeshiva right, without right. me. And he said, you have to get me involved. So now you're getting right. involved because he's twisting your arm. Why aren't you on your own volition working to see how can we work together as in a co-parenting fashion? There was no answer. Mm-hmm. But th- that was, you know, the beginning of a long, long trail of deception and lies. You know, yeah, they're not really that's... getting involved, very, very little. And then they kind of play that game and say, what do you mean? We are getting involved. We did X. I'm like, what? And, 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 it, and, and it's really yeah. gaslighting. So yeah, it, I was, it, it, it can it wear you point. down. I, I understand how, how it could be. It could just totally wear you down. You constantly have to fight just to find out basic information about your own kid. And uh, it's it's so painful. I mean, I'm, I'm actually fortunate. I mean, in my, in my case, she actually communicated with me about the school that she was applying to. And, and we went together, even though we were already on the divorce process. But she played along and I played along and we, we went together. We didn't tell them anything about us getting divorced and we did it for our daughter uh it's very expensive i don't know how we're going to pay for it but um you know at least we gave it that shot and i i mean there's other issues but at least on that issue at least we came together for the kids and i I think that's just when it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen a lot in our case too but it's so sad and it's just so painful especially being the parent who's trying to just find out like what's where's my kid what's going on like why why can't i just know the basics where they go to school that's just a, a very basic thing and it's very it's very demoralizing and and it makes you feel just like nothing like powerless with your, your, your you don't know where your own child is going to school i mean that's yeah that's, you really, that's, i think you really hit the nail on the head you know with that and i you know kudos to you and um hope you won't kill me for saying kudos to your ex you know for yeah i give credit where it's due to, no, no problem yeah, no, credit yeah, where to it's put due. absolutely to put past negative associations behind and be able to come together, like you like to say in, in, in Congress, to go across the aisle and work with someone who you really don't like for a common goal. Because that's really what divorce is. Divorce is not about um, giving someone a tool or instrument to use as a weapon to mete out punishment against your ex. It's right. a means to separate and lead a separate life with the understanding that you'll never be completely separate and you got to work. To, your lifestyle will be separate, you know, by and large, but you got to work together on things for exactly. your children and that's not and it's the fact that you couldn't see there's a really false narrative out there that well if they couldn't work together when they were together then how do you expect them to work together when they're not together and uh, we have to really hmm. right you know unpack that and dismantle that it's, it's, it's much easier to work together when you're not together when you're not having the stress and and anguish or trauma that you're with someone that you really don't want to be with you have this mm-hmm. you know deep relationship with them there's an emotional relationship there's a physical relationship there's a spiritual relationship and you don't have that there's so much less on your shoulders. Now there's just that business relationship. So if this right. person you found to be intimidating or, or verbally abusive or, or scary or annoying or whatever that is that you had, whatever grievances you had against, you know, your former spouse, there are easier mm-hmm. ways of working with people, therapists, and, or just people with common sense who can guide you to know how to do that. But that has to be your goal. If your goal is, hmm, it didn't work out, how can we work together moving forward? There are usually ways of dealing with it. If your goal is, how can I get out of this? How can I just try to derail and lie and deceive and pretend and gaslight? Yeah, then you're never going to have a decent situation. Yeah, is it? Is it? Uh, do you think it's fair to say? I mean, I, I don't want to 
be a little, I don't want to be too sexist and say like, you know, men versus women kind of thing, but I feel like it's the nature of men is to just be like, okay, let's, let's have a business deal here. I'm let's, let's have a business relationship. And where the woman just wants to just, just completely just have you somehow disappear. Like she just doesn't even want to, you know, even have to ever answer a text from you. I just, I feel like it's sort of, I feel like it's just a natural It's a tendency. really tough question. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important question. And it's a really tough question to answer because I, I think that I'm dealing right now with Saga with, with Shell and Task Force. So long story short, um, um, after a number of years, we finally came to a settlement. And again, this was out of court, out of Besden. It was an uncontested um, arrangement. It was signed. It happened under a little bit of shady circumstances because it was written by her lawyer and I didn't have proper opportunity to look it over properly and they changed certain things, whatever. But it was more or less, bottom line is it said, there's going to be joint custody, there's going to be working together. And while certain things, certain, part, certain parts of the agreement were like, what? It was by and large a half decent situation. And mm. the expectation was that, okay, fine. You know, the, the, the legal custody that I had not had till that point, because she kept on saying, no, I'm going to be doing things unilaterally because there's no agreement, there's no agreement. Like finally after that point, things would be normal. That was the explanation because now it's finally signed. And were things normal after that? I'm going to say yes and no. In other words, and I, I think that I, I want to back up for a second, okay? During that period of kind of like, you know, limbo during in that uh, twilight zone where it was like just separated, not, not having an agreement, but having no idea when things will actually pan out. It was, like you said, a very demoralizing time period for me, but I think it was a time for growth as well. And I think this is something which I hope will be a meaningful message because one of the things that I learned from that time was that a really very, very, very simple message, which we all need to learn in life. And that is that we're just not in control and it could be illogical and it could be ridiculous and it could be unreasonable and it could be unfair and it's happening anyway. And there was no one at that point, at a certain point, there was really no one to help um, get me out of that. And it was really just about trying just to keep up and I, I think that I, I was I was in very good spirits. Now you know, notwithstanding the limitation of my of the you know the situation at that time, and I really try to work with that constantly today. You know, with the understanding that there are other forces, there are other people out there, some who are doing things which are highly destructive. Frankly, I think many of these things are being are destructive mutually. It's not just hurting me, but it's hurting all parties. It's not a very strategic move, but I'm just not in control of that. And hope for the best, Davin. Davening, having been working on Bitachan, just things that are just basic common sense can really give a person a sense of inner tranquility. That resonates with me very strongly. I really think that's something that I picked up a lot in the divorce process as well. Prior to that, I had things under control. I thought, you know, I had my life under control. I had money saved up and I was putting away money every month. And my kids were in school where I wanted them to be. And my wife and I were working together and we were in sync and we were on the same side. But when it goes sour, when when she's not on your team anymore, it's the closest person to you. It's part of you. It's like, it's, it's like one of your limbs just start, like if your leg just starts uncontrollably trying to walk a different direction, it's just a complete loss of of control in a way. I don't want to say like loss of control. That sounds like you're being controlling or something, but it's, it just feels like your life is just, it, it, you have no, you have no say in, in what's happening to a you. Loss of stability, I would say. Yeah. Like your, your life feels like you're on a track and you're, you're moving somewhere and, and things are moving along and, and you know where you're going to be the next day and you, you know where you're going to be the next year. And then everything is just ripped out. Years worth of memories are gone. All the pictures you took together, all like all that stuff just becomes meaningless. It gets it gets thrown out. But neither side even wants it when you when you split up. You know, the kids, I guess, might 
take the wedding album or, you know, people save it for the kids or stuff like that. But it's just all that history, all that relationship, all that effort you put in, all the date nights, all the all the marriage counseling, all that. It's it's, it's like your house burning down. Your house burns down. Uh, everything in it is burnt down. You got to start from scratch. People who go through that, it's so traumatic. It's, uh, I think like, I saw somewhere, I don't remember where it was, where like the loss of a loved one is like, you know, uh, going through a divorce in terms of the traumatizing experiences people have in life. Compare that to losing a job, losing a close relative, losing things like that. It, it's like way up there. It's like in the mm-hmm. top one or two or three. Yeah, of, I, I um, think I think it's like know. the it's considered like the second most traumatic thing a person could go through right after losing a close relative. I mean, even if the marriage isn't good, it still is traumatic. It really yeah, says a lot sure. about it. So you had this uncontested divorce. Things are going maybe not perfectly, but like when did it heat up again? Right. So once we had that agreement. My understanding was, okay, now this is actually going to be joint decision-making. Now we're going to be working out things together, discussing things together, things pertaining to the child. She had no such um, expectation. To her, it was just, okay, we finally signed this agreement, so we can say we signed the agreement and move on and get get and a civil divorce and all that. But in terms of actual um, implementation, that was not something she had intended to do. So the agreement was kind of tapped a little bit, here, in, but, but definitely the spirit of the agreement was not was was never really there but at least it, it gave it gave a structure and a closure because things were at least there was some sort of predictability you know what i'm saying you're getting him this date you're getting him this sunday this job is right. and it's it's not up to for whims there's there's an agreement which was you know the very cut and dry things were mostly cups but it there were a lot of you know whatever so it was it, it basically gave, it definitely gave some sense of closure in terms of that so what happened was this goes back to january of 21. This would be last year, about a year and a half ago. So basically, I, this was when was COVID in the beginning of 2020. So this is like a year later and people, you know, places were starting to reopen and things like that. And I had wanted to go with my, with my kid to, to a trip to Florida for the weekend. Um, there were a number of people that I knew they were, going, they were going there for a weekend for a Shabbos. It was supposed to be really nice. So I had arranged to do that. This was, it would have been our first Shabbos. That was my time with the kid. And I had asked her, the mother, you know, she agreed with that. And they, they said, yeah, anyway. So it was, it was that evening, it was a Thursday evening and he was packing up the suitcase. He was ready to come over to me. And then, you know, all the specific details are not, not so important, you know, for the purposes of the show. But basically the last minute she decided that she, she changed her mind. She did not want him to come. And wow. well, I had already, yeah. I'm I'm still not exactly sure why, but uh, it was it was upsetting because he 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 had like I said he had you know his suitcase was all packed up he was ready to go. So I I had come to their place and I I was outside parked outside in my in my car on the street and so I had she sends me an email saying that um that basically um can't come and so meanwhile I you know I was on the phone with him trying to figure out like what happened or what he wants you know, what the deal with that is. But then after that, I was in the car trying to figure out what to do. I had, I was trying to reach, um, you know, it was, it was late at night. There was really weren't that many people that I should call. And I was thinking like, you know, I was really wanting to call the police because this is, this is when someone just not allowing someone to have their child at a prearranged time, their time. This was a, you know, a violation of the agreement. And that's really what I wanted to do. But I didn't know, is that the appropriate method? Is that an effective method? Is that the best thing to do? So I was like on the phone with family and friends trying to figure out what to do. Eventually, um, I decided not to do that. 
and I drove off and went back home. And then uh, two days later, I get an email saying that she has an order of protection against me. Wow. Because I was stalking her. I was outside her house. And, and you were just outside the house. Did you like knock on the door? Did you like? No, no. I was, I was in my car parked on the street, public property. Um, you know, I was ready to call the police and I was trying for, you know, I was like deliberating on that. Did you text her that you're going to call the police? Were there any threats or any, is there anything? I'm just wondering, like, what was the basis for the order of protection? I mean, not that there has to be a basis. I mean, we know so many stories. No, where there's... no, no. I mean, I don't think there's anything not a, I didn't, but B, that would be a legitimate threat. You're allowed to tell someone that if they don't stop breaking the law, right. you're going to call the police. That would be an appropriate thing to say. Um, but no, there were no threats of harm or, or, or anything like that. And so the, the lawyer that he was using is, is working for a Shalom task force. So let's, let's just try to figure out who these people are. Shalom task force was an organization that... Wait, 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 wait. Just before, just before you go, I want, to just, I want to just clarify. She filed an order of protection. Um, and then where, where does Shalom task force call? Then she contacts Shalom task force or was that... Did, did they advise her to get the order of protection? Like, well, well, I, I can't tell you what happened behind the scenes there, but, but they are this organization, which I'll tell you about shortly. Um, they're providing her an, an attorney, their in-house attorney, who was fighting. Um, I had to hire an attorney to fight that, and you know the ongoing litigation, which you know I'll describe to you about what's going on. But it's their attorney that's um, that's fighting this. Okay, they they went to court. They went to court to to get the order of protection. And they basically had asked for to have the child and the mother viewed as protected parties. And I'll tell you more about that. So I just, wow. just to give it just a little bit of a context here, um, Shalom Task Force is an organization that was started in the, like about over 30 years ago in 1992 by a number of um, people in the community in an effort to help women and children who are being beaten, who are being bruised and beaten, God forbid, um, domestic violence issues. And there was no organization at the time to help these people. So that was their, that was their goal here. They advertised for many, 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 many years. Um, I don't know if people still remember the Jewish Observer. That was like the uh, monthly magazine put up by Gadot Israel. They've been around from 1965 to 2009. And every single month there was this ad from 1996 till, till the, the newspaper's demise in 2009. Shalom Task Force. It hurts to call a domestic abuse hotline. It hurts more not to, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there was that ad, and you know, trying to help people who allegedly were being abused. So I was really very shocked as I went through this journey to try to understand how an organization such as them. I didn't know much about them other than the ads that I've been seeing since my childhood. Um, why they would be assisting to get an order of protection against someone such as myself when there was no harm, there was no claim of harm. Um, there was no, there was no threat of harm. And, and you had been separated for years at this point. I, I think the main thing to point out is that not only have we been separated, but the divorce was fully finalized for several years. There was a working, although it wasn't the, you know, the perfect situation as, as probably no divorce ever is. There was a workable arrangement and there's an agreement. There was a divorce agreement in place. There was a gap, there was a civil divorce. There was, there was everything was totally done with you know, for several years before this incident happened. But what was it, um, if let's, I mean, if she were to be interviewed and say, what, why was it, what was the order of protection about? Like, what would she at least say? What is she alleging? So, I mean, I think that she said that she felt 
the, the brunt of it was really this incident that uh, she said she felt scared that I was at her house outside of her home. But you're always outside her home to pick up your pick up your children, right? I mean, you're it's right. Not a new but, thing. but she said I was there for longer. I was there for longer than usual. I was just sitting outside over there doing nothing or whatever. That's again, this is what she's claiming. You know, I, I can't get into like the minutia now just because of the, you know, the ongoing litigation. Mm. But I don't believe that I don't believe that there would be anything that she would say different in terms of, you know, the substance. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's more about like how she felt or she was up to. But but then but that but that that's this is the beginning of the situation. Okay. Then shortly thereafter, about a month or two later, they file a second motion in court. This is in, in family court. And this one is they decide they want to get sole custody. So completely excluding to, you, all your visitation, all your parenting time. So they, they weren't asking for a cut of visitation, but asking for, for custody. So all the all joint, joint decision-making process and all that, oh, okay. they okay. want to have that removed. Okay. So you have to just understand the timeline here. First, they ask for a, a an order of protection, keeping me away from 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 the child and the mother, and which is wow. what they got this temporary this temporary uh, order. Okay, now it, it was kind of a little bit vague because it was denied in part from the get go, meaning the court said, okay, we'll kind of give a you know a full stay away from the mother. We'll kind of give a limit a limited stay away for the child, and. You will still allow the parent and father to see the child as per whatever it says in the divorce agreement. So they were not going to give a full stay away, you know, or, you know, a full order of protection for the child, but you can, but we're going to put in some restrictions. So um, you cannot have access to the child except for the specific times that it says in the agreement. So, for example, if you normally see him on a Sunday, you can only see him on a Sunday. So if you decide one Monday night, you say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go to the local shul because we live nearby. I'm just going to go to the, to the shul where he died. And I'll have a mirror together with him. She's not, he's not he's diving with his mother, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that, you'll get arrested. But, you know, I would wow. get arrested. Um, wow, that's, because that's, it doesn't expressly say that I can see him on a Monday night. It only says on a Sunday or whatever. So, Oh, my God. That's, I, that's, that's just it, a It's nightmare. wild and, 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 and it's kind of arbitrary because, like, if the yeah. child is safe with the parent, then he's safe with the parent. Is Monday not safe <laughs> right. and Sunday is safe? Right, exactly. You know, it's so and back. Stay it's, away it's, from the yeah, and stay away from the child's right. school and and you could and and Meaning, it's, parent, what's what's incredible. I, I just have to point out what's incredible is that you could turn into from you. You're just a, a a normal guy with you know goes to work every day, just a regular mensch, and you could turn into a criminal by just seeing your own child in shul. Like you're I in think criminal that this contempt. Is, this is the point you have to drive home. To, to your listeners, that you, you, people don't exactly know what order of protection is. They don't know what the family court is. Unless you could transform a father into a criminal for literally doing just like being a father, just for like being saying a hi to his kid. Father, for being a wonderful person, it was criminalized. The, the initial hearing that they had was called it's at, so at, crazy. At, I just want to say also, people yeah, listening, like people don't even, a lot of people listening will, will be like, I was one year ago from today, I was happily married father and I, I i would have not even believed this i would have thought there's more to this the system can't be that crazy i mean you can't be a criminal for just you know waving to your own son like that it just can't be people don't understand that is actually the system it's just, it is that crazy uh sorry for interrupting you i just i just want to make sure that's no 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 you're not you're you're understanding it, it this, this is exactly what's going on here and the initial hearing that they had was called an ex parte hearing behind the back of the other party. So I wasn't even present 
when they they said things which are blatantly untrue and verifiably untrue. Which I'm I'm not going to put uh, my evidence on 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 the podcast, but things mm-hmm. which were verifiably untrue, and um, and they were only able to get away with because I wasn't there. So they get what's called a quote unquote temporary order of protection, um, and we'll, I'll explain what temporary means in a minute. Um, I have a feeling so, it means so, very very long term temporary, but spoiler <laughs> alert. Well, we'll get to that. So so okay. um, so the the um, so they thank God they removed the, the restrictions on the child. Okay, and but like I said, still only see him during those times, and neither parent is allowed to take him out of the state. Uh, we live in New York State, and neither parent take him out of New York State. So then she thinks like, okay, well, why is she limited? Why is the mother limited from taking him out of the state? What, what did she do wrong? She, no one claimed that she did anything wrong. So then they had another ex parte hearing behind my back, where they asked the court to remove the restriction on the mother. Now. If you want to say like there's some sort of danger, there's a crisis, you have to do it right away. So we don't have time to wait for the other party to show up in court. Okay, but why do they have to do that second one behind my back as well? So I think there was a constitutional wow. violation over there. You know, we're not going to get into that right now. But can I just ask a question about that that state restriction? Okay, so uh, you're you're in the New York City area, right? Um, you right. could you could travel, so you would be allowed to tr- take your kid to Buffalo, New York, but not to Passaic, New Jersey. <laughs> Is that right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the whole. That's it, it's just arbitrary. That's that's, that's unbelievable. Right. That's true. you know, and it doesn't matter miles. And you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that into my motion. That's that's a great that's a great point to argue. So eventually, eventually, there were a series of you know hearings and 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 pleadings or whatever. But eventually, they removed removed the restrictions by and large from the child altogether. That I can just you know see him normally. But they still they still decided to hold on to this thing that I can't take take him too far. They they um. They relaxed it a little bit, so now I can take him to the tri-state area. So New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, I can take him to. I want to take him to relatives that I have that live further out, which I do. I can't. I can't take him. I want to go for Pesach, a sibling that lives in another state out of that. I can't. Wow. And uh, so we have to file some emergency motions to get that to allow me to go to allow me to go um, further out for for Pesach. Um, this is what happened last year, uh, 2021, and I said. You know, I want to be with my parents, Fiantif, and they would like to go away to a sibling that lives um, out of state. And I want to go with my son, Hugh, at the time to be, you know, to be with me then. And we reached out to the other side, to the, the Shalom Task Force lawyer. And they said, no way, no way, Jose, he has relatives here, even though that's not true, because my relatives were going away. And I would have had to have like a face-off term just without any preparation here, without the family that I wanted to go to for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. So I have to file. Was, a was, was any fit, was any reason given at all? Did they did they at least attempt to pretend there's a reason? It's too far. He's going to be too tired traveling. Was it was there some kind of reason? No, no, nothing, nothing to do with that whatsoever. And and even if they would have said something like that, that that wouldn't have made any sense because I, I'm just wondering if something was attempted. Not because there was just no. They just right. they just said no, no way, Jose. So I filed right. for an emergency hearing in court. It's, okay, it's, I have to pay thousands a, of dollars. Right. I have to pay thousands of dollars that they don't have. Oh, you have to understand. Shalom Passworth is giving her a free lawyer. That's what they do. They give these legal services for free. So there's no way in heaven we can ever come to a reasonable solution here and solve this out of court because well, it's not costing party, anything. usually you settle yeah. because it's not costing anything. It's, and it's more, it's actually hurting them. Like I said in a second. But so basically, I, I can't give you every detail. This is just way too much. I'm going to give you just some of the main points so you can get a, a picture for you know, the, what's going on here. But so I have to, to pay thousands of dollars for a lawyer just to be able to be with my family and my kid for Pesach, okay, in, in, out of state. So we went to court and they were fighting it tooth and nail. 
and the judge was surprisingly very decent. You know, some of the other judges that, that I had were a little bit less understanding. But in this particular hearing, um, the they started throwing in the kitchen sink and all types of other arguments. And again, but they use, they're using distracting arguments. They said things like, um, oh, but, but he, uh, he wanted to go on a trip um, to Florida last year, you know, earlier on, and he didn't, and, and, and she didn't want to when he was outside her home and, and then stalking her and, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the judge kept on saying, you know, I, I don't remember the exact argument, so I, don't call me on this, but, but they kept on just talking about other complaints or grievances that they had. And the judge kept on saying, like, even if that's true, but what does that have to do with anything? How is there a, a danger here today for this father and child? And I kept on just going in other arguments and other arguments. And at one point, the lawyer has said, I, I, I retract my statement, Your Honor. Like, I, they realized they, they were saying things which are so ludicrous. And I won, I won that, that motion. And thank God we were able to take him out. And we had a wonderful wow. answer. And I don't, I don't know why we had to. Yeah, I had some wins, believe it or not. <laughs> Losses and wins. But, um, That's amazing to hear. Was, That's amazing to hear it, a good... It uh, was great. It wow. was really great. Because the point I want to make over here is that, and you know, we, we, can, we can delve into this, or, or not delve into this to the extent you know, that you want. But the point is that I was very, very shocked and traumatized, not just by what had happened, but I'm kind of a person that wants to look at the patterns of things and see how they're happening, why they're happening, try to connect that, you know, if there's some sort of pattern that's actually taking place. And like I said, this is a, this is a, a from organization, film task force. They were started, they had Rabbanim endorsing them. Rav Zatel was one of their, on their website, it says that he was... Um, rabbinical he, he, guide he was, guidance advisor he, he was the rub behind it the, the he, rabbinical. Was, he wasn't a rub he, he was one of one of the people that um according to their website promoted their work or advocated for it mm -hmm. so, um, they definitely have a number of rabbinim on their site that they say uh, endorse their work they don't have an actual rabbinic board but they have rabbinic endorsers and um i was shocked beyond words that in a community-based organization they just look at the name shalom shalom passes they're looking to promote shalom would actually engage in on active litigation against another member of the community without even hearing out their side of the story. And it's with deception. It's just a tremendous amount of deception. You know, there was lies there. They, they, they said all kinds of lies. I, I have things on record. And, and if you'll be fighting against a, a lawyer, so like everyone knows that lawyers can be dirty, lawyers can lie. And as much as maybe it's not the nicest, nicest thing, kind of people are expecting that in litigation. But here's a, like, like I said, a homegrown, Maiset of Chesed of Parrot, and why in the world would they be engaged in that? Um, you obviously so, must be a pretty bad guy if Shalom Task Force so, is getting but, involved. <laughs> well, well, my, 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 my number one, my chief complaint was why didn't they have the decency to call me up and hear out my side of the story? Well, I think they How would say that just... they're not, they're not a Besdin. I think they would probably say like that we just advocate for <laughs> battered women. That's probably what, I mean, right, that's but, what they would answer. But I, I think, I think that the, the, the point that you have to put out there is that, you know, if someone just calls you up and says, I'm, I'm, I'm being hurt, um, and, and they say, okay, we'll get you a therapist, we'll give you, you know, uh, people who, who can give, provide you a listening ear, we'll, we'll have Shabbatones for people that go through, you know, challenging situations. Okay. But if you're going to pursue act, you don't, have to know, you don't have to know the other side of the story. It's not relevant. You just want to mm, get support okay. to one party. I but when you're, when you're hurting another party, dragging someone through litigation i mean my right. life was turned upside down it affected my my, my job it affected my just my day-to-day -day life being able to just get up in the morning and, and and deal with the nuances having to know walk around you know make sure that it that i have a way of you know getting evidence in case something comes up if, if i hear the sirens at night are they coming 
to lock me up for some alleged violation that I don't even know of. Like, why do I? Ha- this is this is just severe trap, severe. And right, right. you know, it's, how it's, can you just drag someone through that without even hearing their side? So everyone knows. Everyone knows that this is a community-based organization. That they're that what they keep on saying is they're here to provide promote safe quote safe and healthy relationships. That's what they're trying to do. Okay. No one ever knows that they have a legal department or that they even have in-house lawyers or anything like that. That's, that's the way they're selling themselves to the community. We have the Rabbanim who are endorsing them, yada, yada. In reality, they have a whole legal department and they, they, they'll be the lowest of the low. So I had a conversation with, with this attorney. Actually, actually there, was one, there was someone in the community that was very, very alarmed by what happened. And she called up a, a senior staff member of the organization and said, like, you're dragging this person to court. First of all, there, there's halachas involved about Masira, about taking someone to court. It can be a serious uh, issue, which I don't think they're quali- there was any basis for what they did, okay, halachically. But secondly, and you're not even hearing his side of the story, like, how can you do something like that? And the, 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 it was a senior staff member, I'm not going to say the name, but she was very, extremely indifferent. You know, any, I understand that there can be organizations out there. No, any organization can make mistakes, even big ones. But when you're taking someone else's life into your hands, you got to do better. And certainly if someone's bringing to your attention that there's a grave mistake taking place, you're willing to hear out. And there was an extreme indifference. It was like, well, what's the problem? If he's innocent, then he'll be found innocent in court. Mm -hmm. Wow, right? You know what I'm saying? In other words, they have no problem dragging someone to court against halacha, make him then spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or more with money they don't have and may never be able to come out of, you know, in an effort to... And and if and if you and if you're found innocent, okay, no big deal. They're never you're mm. never going to recoup that 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 money, that time, that energy, that that drama. Exactly. And there's no accountability in the family court for that. So basically, right? There, there, I think there's what, no what there's no repercussions. Really understand. On, on, on yeah. her end, there's no reper- If you're in, if you're found innocent, you, nothing happens to the at, to the accuser, which is which right. Which, so, which means so there's I no incentive. That, to, yeah, to, yeah. To, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 this is really this is really the tip of the iceberg because yeah. um, you know we've done a lot of different research, spoke to numbers of people, spent uh, many 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 hours on this, and basically it turns out that this was not a mistake. This was actually by design. So um, I told you about stalking incident or so-called stalking incident. I was actually actually looking through some you know financial documents, and uh, Shalom Task Force 2019 uh, tax returns is public records because they're a nonprofit. And they have listed there, and uh, it turns out that they got a, a grant from the federal government, the Department of Justice, the OVW, that's the Office of Violence Against Women. I'll tell you what that is, for $550,000 to be used, the funds need to be used to fight stalking in the Orthodox Jewish community. Wow, that's very specific. Yeah, stalking and dating uh, abuse. I don't know if there's any dating abuse because, you know, we're not, men and women are not touching each other or whatever. When, you know, Maybe it means like other. like uh, demanding pictures with a shidduch resume. That could be abusive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy you broke the ice over here. Okay. You know the the, the, uh, the tension here. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now for that for that I agree with that's definitely abusive. Um, yeah. um, but 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 what do you call it? Um, and then it was renewed um, to get like another half a million dollars. So basically, they have this money they're getting from the federal government, and they have to get victims of abuse now. If you go back to 2015, they because they've been getting they get money from Washington, they get money from Albany, they get money from New York City, they get money from private ent- entities. I have a lot of a lot of the documents. 
there were some internal leaks and other things, whatever. They actually were audited by the DOJ, by the Department of Justice. And this is readily available online. If you just Google Shalom Task Force Audit DOJ, it'll, the first thing will come up. You'll see the whole audit, like 30 pages long. And basically, they promise the government, give us money, and we're going to get victims. We're going to get women who are victims. We're going to get 50 victims a year, 100 victims a year. I'm going to help these victims. And they came back to them and they said, guess what? We gave you $1.2 million, whatever it was, and you didn't meet your quota. Wow. So what's going on here is that basically you have a culture of abuse, a culture which conditions people to believe that there is abuse against women. And, and there is. I'm sure, I'm sure there are women who, who are being hurt. I'm sure there are men who are being hurt. I, I, I went out with a with young woman who told me that, that her mother had beat up her father. You know what I'm saying? But um, they have this ideology, which is rooted in feminism, rooted in a lot of other things. But ultimately, that, what that translates is going to the government and saying, we need to weed out this problem. We need to weed out abuse and domestic violence and abuse against women and, and this sort of thing. And they get funding for it. Now that funding creates a quota, which is either official or unofficial, depending on what it is. They have a quota with what Albany also that they have to get um, 50 legal victims a year that they're going to help provide legal services for them. And they also have a hotline. So a hotline seems a little bit more innocent. Like hotline is just for people calling who are being abused or overwhelmed or whatever like that. And they want to have a listening ear. That sounds innocuous because mm. over there, for the hotline, you're not hurting the other party. You're just helping the one party. But right, right. In, if you read in the fine print, it says that they, that they were required to refer 17% of their hotline callers to their legal services. Wow. That's, yeah, oh, and man, I, that's, that, what? no, that's terrible. I mean, I, I, you would think that at this point nowadays, more, you know, even government, but uh, uh, private organizations would be aware of these kind of uh, backward incentives. I mean, there's so many famous examples of this where companies or just initiatives backfire because they put out these these incentives that actually create the opposite effect. I mean, I think Malcolm Gladwell writes about this a lot or Dan Ariely. Um, yeah, there, there's there's this is covered in like lots of pop science books. There's a I famous case. Malcolm Gladwell in a while. Yeah. One of the cases I think I think he talks about is this this case in uh, like when the British invaded India. There were there was a problem with cobras uh, that were like loose cobras that were biting people and poisoning them, killing British soldiers. So the British put out uh, a bounty saying it for every cobra head you bring, we're going to give you 100 rupees. And, uh, you know, to encourage people to go kill cobras. But what happened was people actually started breeding cobras so that they could bring in the heads <laughs> and, and get money for it. So it actually created more cobras. It, it exacerbated the problem. Well, yeah, that's really, that's really the situation here. So, you know. In order for us to understand the whole the whole picture of things that are going on, there's many different forces, but a huge force is this one office that most people don't know about. It's called the Office of Violence Against Women. It's the OVW. They're under the DOJ and the federal government. I believe they were created in, in the 90s by a bill signed uh, uh, signed into law, you know, passed through Congress, signed into law by then President Bill Clinton. It was Ironically. the VAWA, the <laughs> VAWA, V-A-W-A, the Violence Against Women's Act. I'm against um, violence it, against women. That's a terrible impression. You have to really wonder because it's like, and, and oh, and, and the co-sponsor was Joe Biden. Okay, so um, wow, all the greats. So yeah, these are people that do not really respect women. Let's just leave it at that. And sometimes they do things like that to kind of try to you know deflect and say, "What do you mean we're so concerned about women or whatever?" Animals Come on, man, I'm know. very concerned about women. Come on, <laughs> what, do you call, what do you call it? And this act has 
is reauthorized every couple of years. Every few years, it's reauthorized, it's reauthorized. It was just reauthorized again several months ago. And each time it's reauthorized, they add in more and more pork. We're at the point right, right now where, where this office, this Office of Violence Against Women, which is it's getting its funding through this VAWA Act, um, VAWA? Sorry. Oh, Violence Against VAWA, Women Act. VAWA. Oh. V-A-W-A. Violence Against Women Act. Okay, okay. Um, is, is funding over a billion dollars a year. So, so it's a federal ent- uh, entity. It gives wow. out money to hundreds and hundreds of different entities all across the country. Some of them are third parties like Shalom Task Force, like Safe Horizon, like Sanctuary for Families, or, you know, similar, similar kind of um, organizations that operate in a similar fashion, and they these groups often work together in tandem and things like that. Some of the, some mm-hmm. of the money is going to government. So there's about seven million dollars a year that's going from Washington to Albany. It goes to the Department of Criminal Justice Services, and then from there, the, then the state government takes that money and sometimes they give it to a secondary grantee. Like sometimes it can go from Washington to Albany to Shalom Task Force, or from Washington to Albany to other um, state or city locales. There's millions of dollars a year that's going from Washington to, for example, the New York state court system. The court system is actually a recipient. The state court is a recipient of federal funding. So Federal violence against women funding. Right. You're so saying, okay. so if, if you go to court, okay, and they accuse you of, of some sort of violence or abuse against women, you're, you're a, a divorced father or something like that, okay? So mm-hmm. the, the role of the judge is to ascertain what happened. Did he, in fact... Uh, commit the alleged act that she's claiming. She's saying he did. He's saying he didn't. We have two parties. Neither party should believe any more one than the other. We'll look at the evidence and we'll we'll and we'll and we'll judge accordingly. That's the way courts are supposed to operate. But they're, they're right. pouring in millions and millions of dollars. And and what's that money doing? The money is is, is to to provide um, workshops and educational classes to judges and clerks and people affiliated with the courts and lawyers and other things to get them to help solve the problem of social justice or social injustice in their eyes over the fact that victims are not getting enough services. Okay. So victims not getting services or the services that they feel they need or the extent that they need it is code word for women not getting the outcome in court that they want. Mm. So the, the, the money pays for like training materials for judges and the judges have yeah. to sit through seminars and stuff. Yeah. Is what you're saying? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I don't know if so, that works. So I, I thought exactly. judges just uh, train in the law, like, you know, they have a bookshelf behind them with like all those bland looking books. I thought that's what they read all day. So this is this is the this is the, the myth that everyone thinks. And I thought until recently and, and you know, so we embarked on this research and we're just we're just scratching the surface here. Mm-hmm. But there's actually many all kinds of sense of uh, initiatives in society from government and from private private industry and some hybrid mixed mix kind of groups that are pouring money into the courts and to other third party groups to to fix the court. Yeah, I'll, just, I, I'll just give you one more example of this. There's an organization called the Center for Court Innovation. Okay? And you go to their website, they do justice. They believe that the court needs to be changed. We need to get social justice. We need to get more justice for African-Americans and for women and for you know, whatever the special interest groups that they are that they, that, that they value. And they provide educational classes for judges, for, for the court, for people in the court. And they're being... They're, the government is pouring millions of dollars into this group for the express purpose of changing the ideologies behind how the courts operate. So you how do they have the access to judges? You have no idea. They say, we are the Center for Court Innovation. We got this grant from the federal government, from New York State, whatever like that. 
and we want to provide a, a workshop. We're creating this thing and we're going to bring in the poor victims that were, that were violated and they're going to talk about how detrimental it was and how the fact that they didn't get the justice that they needed or wanted. And, and, and like a sitting judge about- just agrees to go to one of these workshops? Like, uh, how do you get them to go? I'm, I'm curious uh, how that I'm, works. I'm going to uh-huh. guess. I, I'm guessing that it probably comes from higher up. They probably go to like the office of court administration, mm, okay. um, you know, and, and it's, it's, I don't think it's like, you know, sleazy. I think it's like, they're very transparent with them about it. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. right. Uh, and they, you know, this is what it is. So actually there's something called um, freedom of information, um, which some mm-hmm. people are familiar with. Um, on the federal level is the Freedom of Information Act, the FOIA. And then on the state level is something called Freedom of Information Law. Most states have something like this. Um, where you can actually go to the government and ask for records. You can't ask for, you know, private court records or private medical records, but about information or, or communications that the government had with different groups, financial statements and things like that. And you'll see that, right. you know, if you look it up, F-O-I-A uh, sure. or F-O-I-L, you see that in the news sometimes something was released to FOIA or whatever it was. So a number of different people that I'm working with, people say like, what are you doing? What are you doing about the cause? How can we, you know, make a difference? A number of people that I'm working with have done extensive research some of the information came through there where, whereby we're trying to find out what the government's really up to and how it's affecting people, you know, take it down to the single dad or whatever it is. So we reached out to the court and said, you know, we know that there was a workshop that took place on such and such dates because we found mm. out through whatever. Oh, that's interesting. You, you found out through one of the... That's interesting. What? Well, you found out through, through a freedom of information request? We found out, yeah. So oh, very we found, interesting. We got, we got part of the information. We know there was a there were like 150 judges present or something like that. Um, wow. Can you please, and this, these days or whatever is like that, can you please provide the slides that were shown, the video presentation? And the court said, jump in the lake. We're not giving that to you. This is private internal communication. And there's a lot of exceptions. Like they don't always have to release everything. So I'm not, you know, I'm not an attorney. So like, I don't know if, familiar with if, if, their, if their denial was legitimate or not. But here's the point. The point is that the courts are being conditioned that the man doesn't exist. That's not the focus. The focus is not to determine if the defendant was guilty of a crime or not guilty of a crime. Um, the focus is how can we provide services to the plaintiff who's claiming that they're a victim? And there's, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of forces out there that are looking to influence the court and it's quote unquote legal. And we're, we don't even have access to what they're doing fully or how, it's certainly not in the, out in the open and how they're doing it. So, right. you know, there's a, lo- there's, a, there's a lot to say about the corruption that exists in family court and things like that. But to, I'll just leave, you know, this segment um, at this point saying that, you know, someone walks in there and there could be women that are mistreated by the court too, okay? But, but it's, it's overwhelmingly the man that, that is being abused by the system. And the courts are being conditioned to do this because of funding and stuff like that, like the initiative, like you said, like the COBRAs in India or whatever. So we have, we have the court system that's rigged. We have, we have other, you know, sentiments within government that's rigged who get this outcome, there's lots of funding to it. So and then, we, then we have third party groups, we have film tasks, we have safe rights and these other groups that are also being incentivized to do that. So- and, By the way, I just, I, theory, just wanna, yeah. I, I just wanna point out, I've, I've heard it said that it's not, the court is not necessarily pro or anti any particular gender, but it does persecute the, the provider or the, the breadwinner, the one who actually pays the child support or the alimony because often that goes through the court and, and there's a percentage taken and it's really just about the money. It's not necessarily about the gender, but that's just, you know, I just wanted to point that out. So I'm not, I'm not so familiar enough to be able to, to have an intelligent response. I, 
I, I do believe that they're, they're specifically out to destroy patriarchy. So that's part of the feminist mindset. But I do think there's a, the monetary issue as well. I do think that the court's getting, they're also being incentivized to other ways to child support. I think that's true too. But I think that then you have these groups. So, so basically, let's just use my example. You have Sean Pass for And I told this to the judge. I said, you know, the only reason why they're making up this stalking uh, event is because they don't want to get ordered again. They're going to lose their money. They need to fill their stalking quota. Oh, that's you really actually told that to the it. judge? I actually told that to the judge. And I provided exhibits showing that to the judge. Wow. Um, so they were really mad about that. They were really mad about that. But unfortunately, it still didn't make a difference. Unfortunately, that's that's still there. I'm still I'm still, you know, grappling with the whole situation. Um, wow. But but in theory, the reason the rationale behind this the idiocy is because the statistics will show that women are being abused a lot more than men. And this is, this is a question that you had you asked me earlier on. And so I think that it's more one gender or another. And I think that you know we can I can tell you my opinion about what I think you know is actually going on in reality. But I think that it's really not relevant because I think they're they're trying to rule with statistics with statistics right. statistics say that it's usually the man who's doing this or or the woman who cares what this are you going to preside over a lawsuit based on statistics are you going to look at the evidence in each individual case yeah so let's let's assume that 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 80 of the time it's the man that's being you know, bad and 20 percent of the time it's the woman let's just make up a number here that means that that sh- it shouldn't follow then that that the judge will just incriminate the guy because well he's from the 80 percent let's look at each case individually so Sean Task Force is, is saying, well, there's so many women that are being abused. How do they know that? Because they're going with the statistics. Where's that statistic coming from? From the government. They provided statistics from, from Health and Human Services, from the CDC, showing that there's a high statistic. They believe that the government is saying that they believe one in three women are being abused, which is an absurd number. I, I, no, I don't think anyone believes that. Okay, I think that if you that average crazy. it out and you average it out, if you take everyone in society and you make one gigantic average, then maybe you'll come up with that number, maybe. But there are certain groups of people that are, are fraught to do all kinds of abuse and certain other groups, ethnic groups or whatever is like that, mm-hmm. that don't. People that are in, not in real relationships, not in long-term monogamous marriages are much more fraught to be committing abuse, some sort of you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or some other type of situation rather than someone that's in a loving relationship with children or whatever. Of course, they never would right. want to acknowledge that. So they're just make, creating this ridiculous average which isn't, isn't indicative of what happens in real well, life. Well, it, it's just irrelevant. I mean, I think it makes sense. I think most people would agree that in uh, relationships, probably the man is, if you look at the, you know, who's abusive, it's probably, there's probably more, it's not 50-50. I, I would say it probably is more men, it's especially physical abuse, but it doesn't even make a difference. Like, it, it, so let's say it's 60-40 or 65-35. I mean, that, that would be the equivalent of a black guy coming into court and saying like, well, statistically blacks are more likely to to mug someone on the street i mean it's just a fact it's not racist or anything it's just a fact that most of the muggers they're more black than than asians so if a black guy comes in just convict him because he's part of the group it doesn't make any sense it's ridiculous and right that, that, but, but but here yeah that's 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 really what's happening but here's the crunch here's the here's the, the crazy part so they're saying we need money from the government to fight this abuse because this abuse exists because of these statistics that's how we know it exists then they take mm-hmm. the money, then they, they, they perpetuate the same statistic. Then they exactly. So then they go to court. The girl, the, the woman's getting free money to go through a court system, even if the court was honest and not right. Okay. Um, but right. but if you have a free lawyer and the other side doesn't have anyone, their life is being destroyed, they're falling apart. So then the outcome of the court might be on the side of the woman. Then they have these statistics showing, look, and this, this woman claimed that she was being abused, and the court sided with her or whatever like that. Then they go back to the government and they say, 
here's the statistics of what actually happened. Here's the past right. statistics. That, and, and not only that, but it, again, internal documents that Dellum Task Force sent to the Washington said, we are probably the only source of information on statistics in the Orthodox Jewish community mm-hmm. of, on abuse in the community, because right. that's who we probably. are. There's really no one else out there and anyone else kind of works under them or in tandem with them, whatever. So they're creating this statistic in, in, in this demographic. Then they're going to mm-hmm. the government. The government's using this to perpetuate that statistic. Then they go back to Congress and kind of says, you know, we need to reauthorize this bill again, the Violence Against Women's right. Act, go in another, you know, $20 billion or whatever it is for the next five years. And then they get the money all over again. So it's not, it's not even just like you can, it's crazy. You can manipulate this. You're actually creating that statistic. Yeah, and I want to just put it another way, the way the way I, I'm understanding it, just I think it's useful to frame it this way as well, is that they don't actually have any incentive to ever say that the, the rate has gone down, the violence has decreased. That would actually hurt them. It would hurt the organization and people might lose their jobs. So it, like, yeah. you, why would they ever say that, uh, oh yeah, we see that the numbers are way down and abuse is going away. If, if that actually was the case, they would never say that, right? That would hurt them. They, 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 it's like, it's like they... If the government wanted to make it, the, the government, the Congress giving the money, if they wanted to make sure that there were safety checks and balances, what they would do is they would just guarantee the budget, I guess, or say, this is your budget. It doesn't go up or down. Depend- there's no quota. There could be no cases. Um, I, maybe, I, maybe I have to think that out more about how it would work exactly. How do you make sure they're actually doing anything at all? But the, the, the fact that there's only an incentive in one direction is, is, is a big red flag. So, I mean, um, in terms of how we're to fix the system on, on the political, I think that the government shouldn't be spending money to fund one side of a legal suit. Yeah, it doesn't matter yeah, if, it's a, it's, if it's a monetary suit or, a or, or, you know, it's a if, if they're funding one side. And, and if you believe in the Constitution that it's a presumption of innocence, they should need to be funding both sides equally. Right, um, right, absolutely. They're, they're just they're against basic common sense values. Um, right. but that, that's really what I and, have to and, say and also it. and I would and I would add yeah. if the court system works if we believe in the court system and the justice then they pay for two lawyers and and let them bring out the truth why, right. why would you only pay yeah. for one size lawyer that it doesn't compute um I want to spend the last few minutes we really had a nice long conversation and it's uh yeah it's really brought that's a lot of information too, too over time here yeah thank you so um, much yeah yeah that's we, there's no there's no time limit if anyone's uh still listening uh, i hope i think people are riveted i'm sure um and okay. uh there's a lot of stuff it's really interesting um i wanted to ask you basically like a really one or two final questions really at the end um first of all which i, I think is just more practical stuff how do you get yourself through this what, what do you do to keep the strength to keep the fight i mean you're you're, you're getting beaten and worn down they want you to give up. They want you to just give up and walk away from your child. That's which is what a lot of men, unfortunately, just are forced into doing after spending fifty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. What do you do? What, what are your? Uh, how, how do you stay strong? Do you have a good support system? Do you work out? Do you do you learn? Do you what? What do you do? Just share with us how, it's, how you, you know. It's a, it's a great question, and and uh, you know, it's a question that is is fluid. You know, because it's not the same thing every day or in every every state either. So I, I definitely think, you know, what I mentioned earlier about for myself, I find that working on Bitachan is something which is very, very meaningful. Going back to the basics, understanding that while there may be other players, you know, powers, at, the forces of other people there, people who may be revengeful or, or insensitive or just making money on this or whatever the situation is, there's someone all the way on top of all of that, top of Washington, on top of anything, top of, a, you know, an angry act is Hashem. And I don't know why it's happening, but you know, when someone is able to internalize that, it gives the, um, you know, the internal stability that you can go forth. 
and it's not something that I've mastered yet. I'm not saying it like, oh, I got it, so now I can I can preach to other people. I'm saying this is something that's a constant daily daily battle. Um, I do try to stay active. I do have you know, I have I have a, a say there in the evening, and um, you know, and, and other and other things just just to maintain you know the, the you know stability and the function or whatever. But but it's really just trying to keep that spirit. Mm. Wow. I really don't know. I, I've, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of guys who've been in it for years and I just, the strength it takes uh, is, is incredible. And not everybody has that strength. There are people who just eventually it just takes a toll on them and they, they have to just make a very, very difficult decision that no man should ever have to make. No parent should ever have to make, which is to, to, uh, to fight till the death and, you know, lose your health and lose your money and be on the street, but, but try to fight to the end or, or just um, try to, you know, have make a really, really hard decision to, to say goodbye for some unknown amount of time, your own kid. And it's, yeah. it's absolutely brutal. And we have to talk about this more. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. And I hope people share it. I hope people become aware. And I hope men who are going through it also, the ones who come on this show and, you know, hopefully more come on and just even if they don't, at least talk to your friends and family, let them know what you're going through. There's one one last message I can make sure. before before we bring it to a close, and I think it's really kind of where we started the evening is that divorce should not be synonymous in people's eyes with fighting, with bitterness, with nastiness, with friends. We've lost the understanding about what it is, what it's for, and what it's not. And I think that people are trying to get out of it more than it really has to offer. Um, mm-hmm. No matter what, wow. you know, almost no matter what person went through, whether it be a man or a woman, either side. Um, there's usually a way, find a way to work together afterwards. Um, there are coaches out there. There are divorce coaches. There are um, divorce mediators. There are people that specialize, good therapists, not the ones that are looking to destroy. And, you know, some of them can be really bad enough for another time. But to, to really say, no matter, even if it's the other party's fault or whatever is like that, I'm going to be the better one. I'm going to be a better one. And we're going to find a way to work in a decent way together you know, regardless of what happens for our children's sake or whatever, just, just for the sake of being a decent human being. And that's really the place that we need to get to. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I particularly love what you said at the beginning there, uh, that people try to get more out of divorce than they can uh, or something like that. Your divorce is not, is a, it's a, it's a no win. I mean, it's, it's, it's a desperate measure the last resort. And, you know, people think that if they're going to win out of it, they're going to get some kind of victory. I think that's where a lot of the the messy divorces that we're talking about on the show start. And there's bad messaging. There's there's uh, there's there's bad actors who encourage it. And and we're talking about it. Um, Yakov, thank yeah. you so much for for coming on and sharing your story. I really really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having so me and, and doing this brave work. And I really hope that it'll you know it'll make it'll really start making inroads and hopefully bring everyone to a better place everyone in the community. Thank you. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Help us reach more men in our community and help them navigate their relationships and build the best lives for themselves and their loved ones.